I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this week, we are talking about women in white supremacy. So fun. Yes. But you know what? (laughs) Actually, I had a really interesting time researching this episode. Agreed. So I think we're going to have a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about, which I'm excited about. And I think we have like a a lot of different stuff to talk about. Yes. So we'll try not to make this episode a million years long, especially since we are recording two episodes tonight. So um, (laughs) I wanted to kind of open up this conversation by saying that I think that we tend to think of white supremacy as being a mostly male dominated um, arena. Like when we. Especially, I remember when Charlottesville happened, which was uh, the Unite the Right rally, which was like a little bit over a year ago, Mm -hmm. we saw all those pictures that came out of like angry white men, you know, proud boys in like white polos and like high and tight haircuts. Yeah. And we kind of thought, I think there was a lot of... that was it. And there was a lot of talk about it being like a male rage issue, right? Like they merged kind of like MRA mentality Mm -hmm. with white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And we forgot... Which does go hand in hand a lot. Of course. Yeah. Because because the white supremacy movement is so rooted in the patriarchy and misogyny. Yeah, and they're both just hate groups. Yeah, it totally is. But I think because of that, we totally like forgot and lost the fact that a lot of these guys, what were they, you know, at the very base level, women are complicit in that these men are going home to, like, well-cooked meals and a kiss I, good night, right, you know? And I was, that's what I was going to say, that these people, because they do tend to follow such 
uh, typical marital roles, you know, the woman is kind of like, well, whatever the husband, whatever information the husband is giving a lot of times is maybe what their reality is. And if they're married to somebody who thinks that way, chances are they maybe don't completely disagree or maybe they even agree on a lot of things that they're saying. Well, yes, I I agree with that, but I also don't want to take away from the autonomous decisions that white women have made as 100%. as like formed human beings they're not you know not just like as byproducts of their husbands but exactly. are deciding to side with white supremacy because it helps them maintain um it's easier, you know? Right. Well, and I think, too, when I think about when I was younger and people were like, why isn't there a white entertainment television? Oh, like my people, God. Yeah, like, people want to maintain some sort of, like, like they don't want to feel, they don't want the FOMO. They don't want the whatever, like, that. They feel that other races, they don't want other races yeah, to a, be lifted up enough. Yeah, they have oppression FOMO. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, they don't want to have other races be lifted up enough that they feel like they're being squashed. So they will start speaking about white rights and things like that. And well, and it's, it's very scary for people whenever they have been at the top for so long with so little competition yeah. to have their way of life threatened in that way. It feels like Which oppression. Which is so bonkers to right. me that it's like you you've been competitive with other people and other men I should say especially when you talk about that kind of stuff but just other people in general your whole life so the fact that somebody with a different color of skin is like coming out like it's just a weird right I mean I think way it that, goes, that should be so threatening it goes beyond competition it's like these are things that were supposed to be your God-given rights, exactly. right? Like, they were supposed to be... It's different when you're in competition with other white men because you guys are supposed to be on an even playing field. Like, that's yeah. the way that society has been built up. So to now see that these people who you deem to be your inferiors are now your competition, that hits your ego in such yeah. a way. And it it's scary because yeah. now you have to be better. Like, uh-huh. you can't just be kind of like an average white guy like you right. have to be the smartest in the room and if you don't well, get into and I Yale, feel like that's how people of color feel too they can't like they have oh, to course. be the smartest in the room they have to be the funniest right. the, yeah you know but now like the average white guy can say i didn't get into yale because affirmative action and they're letting in all these black people who aren't yeah. as good well, as and me. it's the same thing with immigration they're taking jobs there's all that kind of yeah stuff. which is all just lies so here's a that's a good kind of summary about some of the things that we're going to be talking about this episode so As we've mentioned in our first wave episode, how there was not a whole lot of intersectionality when feminism first began, uh, we also see different waves of what is called the WKKK, which is the women's, is it Ku Klux Klux Klan? I always say Ku Klux Klan, and I know that's not right. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, that's fine because I don't want to say it too much, so whatever. (laughs) Um, Leaders of the suffragist movement like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton continually sided with white supremacy in order to push their agenda of suffrage. They adamantly opposed the 15th Amendment, giving black men the right to vote on the grounds that it would result in women being dominated by inferior men. And I have that in quotes. Hundreds of thousands of women were active members of the Ku Klux Klan, And decades later, white women led the fight against desegregation of schools and public facilities across America under the rallying cry of states' rights and limited government. So, right. So there's a lot to unpack here and, like, try to understand. So basically, 
when we, if you go back and listen to our first wave feminism episodes, you'll hear us talk about the lack of intersectionality within the movement and the ways in which the our founding feminists, yeah. uh, kind of our foremothers, kind of pushed aside issues of race to further uh, their agenda, push, further their agenda, and push yeah. forward women's issues. And while they, like some of them, were abolitionists and, yeah. and, and friends with, you know, quote unquote, they had a black changed. friend, yeah. Um, <laughs> But that yeah. kind of evolved and changed, and they started, as I think the the feminist movement started growing, they started realizing that they had some traction, and they were going to move further if they were to kind of relinquish some of, some of those right. ideals yeah. and start pushing more and toward— And they used uh, the, uh, the rights of white women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and they used whichever avenue was possible to achieve that goal, yeah. right? But I would Like a means to an end. Right, yeah. it was a means to an end. And, like, I wouldn't consider them as members of, the, like, people who would have maybe joined the KKK. They probably right. wouldn't have. No. But definitely they didn't help the cause in that in that way. Right. And then years later, so as as we've already said, like, all of these... White supremacy organizations are highly sexist and misogynistic, and even with women within their organizations, they'd be like, okay, I mean, that's great that you are here for the cause, but also we don't want you to be active members of our organization because we want you to be at home. They wanted their own thing. So even in this, you know, messed up group, the the ladies were like, all right, we're going to like... We're going to create our own hate group, guys. And how it happened actually is really fascinating. So at the turn of the century in the 1920s, women composed the most influential arm of the KKK. Mm -hmm. So basically there was a founder of that era's clan. His name was William Joseph Simmons. And... um, he was basically kind of like a figurehead, and there was a woman who was the mouthpiece of the KKK at this time. Like, they couldn't call her their leader for obvious right. sexist reasons, but her name was Elizabeth Tyler, and she was a public relations professional. Yeah. And they called her in. Well, that's something that's interesting because they call in the women from the WKKK because they have better, like, PR, basically. They, well, yeah. they would bring the women in to, like, clean up their image a All little thanks bit. to Elizabeth Tyler. Now, she's a disgusting racist obviously yeah. but she's also a marketing genius like yeah. and so she was able to come in and um kind of galvanize the KKK's base mm-hmm. you know and get women involved and kind of do something that we see a lot happening now in the yeah. Trump era of kind of um, expanding the list of targeted enemies. It's not just black people now. Now it's Catholics and Jews and yeah. immigrants yeah. and saying, it was interesting how they how they would um label it to make people almost not think that it was as bad too. Right. They would use like she would hand out it was they kind of hid it behind like social the pam- welfare. The pamphlets. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I got. It said that the women of the WKKK fought for educational and social reforms like other progressive reformers, but with the extreme racism and intolerance. And they would basically like get people and, like, housewives together on the grounds of, like, creating a better, like, education system and, um, you know, keeping American values. That's something that goes for a long time. And then it it starts kind of, like, progressing into this weird, dangerous... 
Well, it was really? always it was always dangerous because right, it's, but it's, they, but they coded it like they sugar coated it in a way that would make these housewives think that it was a good idea. It's the same way they sugar coat it now, though. Yeah, it's the same way that they sugar coat totally. it now, like hiding it behind American values. Like they would hand out these pamphlets that would say things like, "Are you interested in the welfare of our nation as an enfranchised woman? Are you interested in better government?" And then they would organize these like picnics and lunches and cross burnings. Yeah. Um, and they would rally around these, like, racist immigration laws. Exactly. And that's kind of how they segued into fighting for segregation. Yeah. Um, and against integration and all of those things that, that we saw moving forward. Um, one of the most interesting things that I have about the women of the WKKK, and also we'll go into, um, in a little bit, we'll talk about the United Daughters of the Confederacy, but one of the things that I found to be most interesting is when we think about Charlottesville, of course, we think about the violence. Of course, we think about all of the modern day Nazis, but they were all marching to keep this Confederate statue from being torn yeah. down because all these monuments were getting torn down. Right. Well, it's actually women who are responsible for most of those monuments going up. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like the um, women of the KKK and the United Daughters of the Confederacy in particular, are the ones who, if you notice when they pull these statues down, old old statues and monuments are hard to pull down. They're solid, yeah. like real. These were mass-produced monuments made of very cheap metal that women of the Confederacy, uh, United Daughters of the Confederacy, and um, the women of the KKK erected in the 20th century, in like the 1920s, yeah. to further their the lie the myth of the lost cause in the south right and to further intimidate black black people yeah, like during definitely. the rise of the civil rights era right so one of the stated purposes of the clan uh in the first wave was that females friends widows and their households shall ever be special objects of our regard and protection which only referred to white women um, many women were related to the Klansmen that joined the WKKK, and um, some women joined the WKKK against the wishes of their husbands, who felt that it was out of their wifely duty. So, like, it's weird because they were trying to be, like, rebels, yet it was just for such a, a horrible cause. And um, they believed that it was their duty pr to protect their country from the threats posed by minorities, which is African Americans and immigrants. Um, they wanted to conform traditional status of women, but also wanted to assist in the white supremacist movement. To and then wait, we already talked about that. So, from what I've read, about five hundred thousand women joined the WKKK during this period of like in the early twenties, which is crazy. They were anti-Jewish, anti-Catholic, anti-immigrant, and anti-black. Yeah, um, basically, if you weren't an Anglo-Saxon Protestant, yeah, like whitest of the white. From the South. Well, this is what it says. To qualify for membership, one had to be native-born white Protestant woman. And you also had to be, like, you had to be sponsored by, like, two other women. And you had to, like, live in a certain area for a certain amount of time. Like, there were stipulations or whatever for people to be um, brought in. Yeah. And I think it's important also to note that I think it's very almost Hollywood glamorous to think about the WKKK or the KKK in general. Because you have this very... There is, like, this sliding scale of racism, right? And I have it here. It's the it's the racism scale, which you can find at racismscale.weebly.com, which is a sliding scale that went viral after the Charlottesville attacks. And it's 
we have this idea of, well, I'm not racist because I'm not a Nazi. Or, like, I'm not racist because I'm not wearing a white robe and a right. and a pointy yeah. cap and they, like which they go to like the worst like <laughs> right i mean but we have this like image of like that's what a racist white person is and like so while i think it's important to like share those images cuz it's jarring to see i mean i saw images of white women at cross burnings holding little babies I was just and say with the babies who are also wearing the hoods and looking so and looking really like sweetly at their babies and yeah. it, it's such an odd dichotomy because we yeah. don't tend to think of women as violent beings yeah but, did you ever watch sorry oh no, no go ahead no i was gonna say did you ever watch birth of a nation the original birth the original. of a nation i have not watched it all the way through okay so i had to watch it in college for a couple class. classes yeah it is the worst. It was so boring. And also, it's just... I couldn't watch it. It made me so mad. Because basically, the it's story... It's propaganda. Yeah. It's 100% propaganda. It's about this woman who gets raped by a black man who's a white actor in blackface. And then, like, comes home. And, like, they... Like, basically, the whole town gathers around the family to, like, get rid of this guy. And then at the end, it's like a KKK march where they're burning crosses. Right. It's, it's like, a propaganda it's so film. And it was shown scary. in the White House. Yeah. It was shown in the White yeah, House. Yeah. It's so scary. So, yeah. It's known as being, like... Because it was... What was it? It was, like, one of the first films that did something. I mean, look how my film degree is working right now. But, like, it's, one. It's like, supposed to be really important for some reason, and that's why we had to watch it, but it made me so fucking mad. Well, I think it's important. Here's the issue that I'm having, and I'm actually glad that we're doing this episode today, because today, actually, in a girl group I'm in, I am getting so fucking fed up. I'm in a few girl groups on Facebook, and inevitably, once every month or so, there will be an eruption about race. And usually, it's a lot of white women getting really in their feelings. That sounds exhausting, Keegan. Oh, Why no, do it is. That? It is. It's totally exhausting, and I, I need to stop replying, but it's hard to do. But it's usually, like, a lot of white women getting in their feelings, and inevitably, like, words come out their mouth that... Just today, like, someone said something about how, like, well your ancestors. And I'm like, I need you to understand that my grandmother was alive during the civil rights movement. Ruby Bridges, who was, you know, the first black, black little girl to go to a white school is in her sixties. It was not very long ago. Um, and so for that reason, I think that birth of a nation is kind of important in that way to, to like, to show that it really wasn't that long ago. And it was really bad. Like, yeah. this is a well, propaganda film. What were we talking film. about where, oh, we were talking last week during the Friends episode about the, uh, still showing those cartoons that were right. a little bit racist yeah, because yeah. it shows how far we've come and it shows that, like, this was real. Like, people right. actually yeah. show these I cartoons. Need, I, cause, cause because of people like that in that group who think for some reason that black people are overreacting acting because yeah. it it was something that happened a really long time ago when in reality this movie a, a movie which means yeah. it wasn't that long ago was shown in the white house yeah. and praised as being yeah. like and and it actually and had it's still being taught in film schools and it had to this day devastating effects on the black community if you yeah. watch the documentary 13th they go into that in the ways in which black people have been criminalized. Yeah. And since I guess we're on this topic, I do want to go back to the United Daughters of the Confederacy, but it kind of this topic kind of leads us directly into talking about um, white women victimhood. Yeah. And the ways in which white women have often used their status as like pure beings, yeah. quote unquote, to criminalize and demonize black men in general. Um, 
and to devastating effects. I mean, look at yeah. Emmett Till. Yeah. Emmett Till, in case you guys don't know, was a 14-year-old boy who a white woman accused of whistling at her. Yeah. And that's that's it, guys. Yeah. Whistling, whistling at her. A 14-year-old boy. Think about all the punk-ass little teenage kids you know right now and imagine that. So that's bad enough already. He, She accused him of whistling at her and her husband and I believe her either either his friend or his brother went after Emmett Till, kidnapped him, beat him to death so badly that he was unrecognizable. Um, and then later on, just recently, I think in the last couple of years, she admitted she made the whole thing up. <gasps> yeah, she I did. Yeah, that. there's an, a whole article about it. She admitted that she made the entire thing up because something happened. Her husband was like upset with her yeah. and accusing her of something. And, and she, so she did that to gain sympathy he went but off But even knowing off. that, and here's here's the thing. That's so fucked up. Even knowing all of that, they were put on trial in the South, the two men who... Yeah. And they there was no question about whether or not they beat a 14-year-old boy to death. They were let off, and there's... She knew she lied about it. The justice system is so fucked. It is, but she knew she lied about it, and there's still a picture. It's the most disturbing picture to me. Like, you can see pictures of Emmett Till's beaten face. Yeah. Because his mom chose to have an open casket in a, a very brave move. Yeah. But the most disturbing disturbing picture from that trial for me is when the non-guilty or the acquittal came through. And she is laughing and smiling in the courtroom. What the fuck? Having known that you lied and this boy was beaten and died brutally. Yeah. So... Um, there is this kind of idea, I feel like, in the ways in which women can sometimes use their wiles to get what they want, I feel like white women have been able to use their status yeah. as, you know, you have been able to use white supremacy to manipulate. Yeah, they, they are always and forever the victim. Right, I mean, especially when it comes to black men, because black men are forever and always the criminal. Yeah. And it largely, and thanks to movies like Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Um, Oy, that movie. Yeah. That movie is upsetting. Yeah. Um, I've not seen it all, but I've seen clips of it, and I it's mean, bad Keegan, enough. I mean, it would make you really mad. I know. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I know. Um, okay, so do you want to hear some things about the United Daughters of the Confederacy? I really do. Besides the fact that they did help um, erect these monuments that we are now trying to take down, I want people to also take a moment to recognize that whenever you see people being like, don't rewrite history. You're yeah. These were not put up right after the Confederate, no. like the Confederacy lost. And why do we have to hold on to really awful history? Can I can I bring up something really interesting? Because yes, I don't know course. if I'm going to dive into this fully, but um, I'm a big World War II fanatic. I no, guess talk I about know. it. Talk about and it. And so I'm really interested in. Um, like the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. And so I started kind of researching a little bit about like the women in the Holocaust. But something that I want to bring up to that same effect is that where people are saying we don't want to rewrite history, there's a whole thing about German guilt. Mm -hmm. Where it's appropriate. It's appropriate. And they felt so bad for the things that they felt that they, that the whole country was guilty of. Um, Keegan told me about The Reader, and I thought that I'd seen it, and I hadn't. Did you watch it? And I watched it, and there's this whole thing, there's this monologue where this kid is like, it's all of us. All of us should be on trial because all of us are guilty of this in some way. If you way. want to borrow the book, I have it. I would love to. Yeah, it's so, so good. Uh, and that really blew me away because it made me think about 
um, how America treats its history and how they tell black people to get over it. They tell um, they they talk about the Confederate flag and how it's such a historical um, symbol and that we should hold on to it. Where it's like, shouldn't we be ashamed that this is part of our history? We and, should and we, be. And the thing is, is that. The German guilt, they weren't, woe is me, feel bad for me because I feel guilty, where I feel like a lot of white people because I've seen it, I've probably even said things in my own life, where it's been a woe is me victimhood kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Yes. And I, I do see that a lot. Um, because they need to, you need to like justify it in some way like i've i've heard it a lot you have to lot. separate yourself from it because yeah. it, the the weight of it is too much like but it's, you want it but you want people to pat you on the back for feeling guilty i've seen that a lot oh for sure yeah where instead of focusing on the people that were actually hurt during yeah. that time it's like you want the attention of other people for you being so brave to to feel guilty or oh i'm just i just can't believe you know what i mean and that's not at all what happened in Germany, these people, you know, if you were part of the Nazi regime or part of that at all, most of them were punished in some way. Most of them, not all of them. Yeah. And then the rest of the German people had to kind of cope with and, and understand and relearn these things that this horrible leader was teaching. Them. Right. I mean, and along the same lines as what we were talking about with the monuments here in the United States, um, in Germany, they don't allow relics of of Not Nazi Germany to stand. And it's kind of an interesting thing here in the United States because people, I think, distance themselves from the fact that, yes, while Confederates soldiers were and are Americans... Yeah. Um, well, but they didn't want to be They Americans were not the fighting time. for America. They no. were fighting against because America. Because they wanted to be their own thing right. so that they could have slaves. Right. And so here's where we're going to go into um, where you were talking about why do we view, like, the Confederacy, or why do these people, like, mostly Southerners, um, view the Confederacy and the Confederate flag and all of this stuff with pride yeah. as, like, part of their heritage? I'll tell you why. Please do. And women are largely to blame. Probably. <laughs> Once I mean, again. And the other thing, too, is, like, women were the people that were, like, behind the scenes, like, sewing exactly. costumes and sewing flags and doing these things. So yeah. to them, maybe that symbol... I mean, sorry if I'm totally stomping on what you're saying. No, go but, ahead. But, like, I can imagine that, like, if a woman's sewing that flag, like, there is some sort of, like, memory there that maybe that's why they're feeling butthurt about it. Well, because, even, like it's even more nefarious and, like, instrumental than that. Like, it was... In, well, not Tell nefa- me all Nefarious about it. might be the wrong word. Deliberate. It was incredibly deliberate. So, here's what, what happened here. So, the United uh, Daughters of the Confederacy were really the leaders of this lost cause myth that happens in the South that I personally experienced having lived in... What's the lost cause myth? Yes. Okay. So, the lost cause myth is basically... It framed the South's involvement in the war uh-huh. as a heroic defense of the Southern way of life against overwhelming forces of the North, right? So it frames the Confederacy not Is that as... still thought today? Yes, and I'll get into why. Yes, absolutely. Like, that's why whenever people have these Confederate flags and they're saying, heritage, not hate, it's my heritage, it's because yeah. they were raised to believe that this was some kind of really heroic act on the part of the South. Yeah, but, I mean, on, like, I even knew that growing up, that it was a hateful well, thing. Well, you did because, hold on, 
Um, so the key tenets of the Lost Cause myth were, one, that the Confederate fight was heroic. Um, two, enslaved people were happy and slavery was a benevolent institution. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. And three, that slavery was not the root cause of the war. You will talk to people from the South now. I have people that I went to school with in Southern Missouri who will tell you that slavery was not the cause of the war, which it absolutely was. That sounds like Donald Trump fake news. It's well, it's like only watch Fox, only do this. It's like they only are they're learning in this little tiny bubble. Well, you're exactly right. And thank you. You are. You're exactly right. And here's here's why. And we can blame again. We don't want to see women as the root of white supremacy, but we can blame. Women largely for this. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, not only did they erect a lot of those statues, but they also, after that, after they've left the WKKK and that kind of disbanded, they went on to work um, in school boards as yeah. teachers. Exactly. Um, and a fundamental focus for them was shaping the way young children thought about the war and Southern heritage. A pro-slavery woman named Mildred Rutherford wrote a pamphlet called A Measuring Rod for Textbooks. She had several Confederate generals on the board, and they dedicated to spreading the, quote-unquote, truth of Confederate history. Uh-huh. So they threw out all textbooks that did not quote, accord full justice to the South and encouraged all lit libraries to deface any books that didn't measure up by writing unjust to the South on the cover. So they would not allow them to to sell. And here's an excerpt. Are you ready to is be that, mad? Wait, is that part of why Texas is so, like... Oh, hell yeah. Homegrown, like... Of course. Pride and everything. And I have a lot of friends from Texas who are very progressive and wonderful. My friend Lauren, who's a... Right, we're not talking about about all the people of the South. I don't believe that Texas was part of the Civil War. I mean, I don't but 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 it's the same principle, and a lot of our textbooks um, are are um, Texas instruments. Like if you read them, or like they're Texas instruments. Yeah, exactly. They come from Texas. So. Okay, so here... Yeah, read me. Read are you me. ready? I'm so ready to be mad. I took my shirt off. <laughs> boobies out. You're I'm ready to prepared. be mad. So this is one of their approved textbooks Tell from me. that the um, one of the women at the UDC advocated for. Okay. The master often had a barbecue or picnic for his slaves. Oh, God. Then they had a great frolic. Even while working in the cotton field, they sang songs. The beat of the music and the richness of their voices made the work seem light. This is a History of Georgia textbook from 1954, and it was taught in high schools throughout Georgia for decades, into the early 80s. They were using these textbooks. So it's not surprising that people believe that what they believe in, of course, and continuing on, here we go. So they were instrumental in misleading the South. Um, A lot... They formed groups called Children of the Confederacy, Good. where they would have kids join these groups, and they would do things like have calls and responses. And here's an example of one of them. Did the South fight for slavery? The response is, no, for had Lincoln not sent armies to the South, that country would have done no fighting at all. These, why, let's think about why Lincoln wanted the fight. But there were tons of these. I know. They had tons well, of these and calls and responses. And that's part of it where we talk about the chanting and things like that, mm-hmm. where it's like, did we talk about that or did I hear that on Keep It Weird? But they talk about the chanting and how, like, if you're chanting, you can't be thinking 
freely because you're going with the crowd. And there's something psychologically right. that I mean, happens and, to you through that chanting. And as children, they were given, um, they would, like, that's a short one, but they also had, like, very long passages that they yeah. would memorize. And they were given uh, rewards, like candy and all kinds of things that they could memorize these. Of course, it was drilled into them. Yeah. And that, along with the Lost Cause myth that was being sold to them in all these textbooks. And that's not long ago, you guys. Right. At all. Like, no. these are, like... Not even, I mean, my my parents are old, but it's, like, not even, like, our generation's parents, even. It's Right. Like, well, this is the 1920s when this was happening, well, but... Well, no, but you said that in that the textbooks were there until the oh, 80s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my mom graduated high school in 1985. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you've got this happening in the 20s, and then these children are growing up to be the people who are leading the segregation movements in the 50s and 60s. Of course it happened. It's like these women who kind of like spearheaded this. And you know what? It's disgusting, but it it was genius. Do you remember that teacher? We talked about her on, I think, a mini episode a while ago. There was like a teacher who was like promoting like... She had a white supremacy podcast. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, it's true. And and that's the thing is I... Like, they wanted women, they needed women to get involved because if men weren't going to do the jobs, like, be nurses and teachers and housewives, they needed all of their bases covered. Well, and if you can shape the minds of young children, you can shape your history. Like, that's the thing. They they, rewrote history. Well, our whole history history. is, like, written by white men. Like, even, I'm sure even my textbooks were completely fucked up. Of course. Yeah, but... But even, like, it's interesting even, like, reading certain books about history today, how they just leave out so much problematic stuff Mm -hmm. and paint certain, like, founding fathers and things like that as being so angelic and perfect. We had, I think, one paragraph about the Trail of Tears in our our textbook like one yeah they're like this happened and moving on yeah and it was like the, a horrible like disaster it really depended on my teacher i had a black history teacher when i was in middle school and he was incredibly passionate and he showed us the movie malcolm x with jamie oh jamie yeah Fox? um it's denzel denzel mm-hmm. but um we watched malcolm x he was so passionate talking about black history and that it always kind of came back yeah. to that and whatever we talked about and exactly good I teachers went to matter an incredibly catholic school mm-hmm. that i don't think would have had that kind of education had it not been for mr webster like yeah. he was really awesome and um I remember he pushed me really, like, like he would make us write outside of, like, the lines on notebooks. You had to write all the way from, like, oh, yeah, the yeah. binding to the end of the page. Uh-huh. And he would have us, like, write about really difficult topics. And I just remember that that was my first time ever being interested in history. And even in high school, I totally lost interest. Oh, I love history. It's one of my favorite things. I love it now as, yeah. a, as an adult. I mean, that these are my favorite episodes. When yeah, we get to me do too. research and things like that. But as a kid, like, I don't know. It just didn't interest Resonate. me as with you yeah yeah but i mean you know like to say that it's that is you know that demonstrates what a good teacher does yeah right yeah so imagine if you were brought up in kind of an echo chamber of just like the south was right slaves were happy the war wasn't about slaves yeah um and it, the whole you, thing about them, oh, they're singing songs. Like, right. Ugh. No, absolutely. And that was in their textbook. That's, that's Because how, they had to survive. Well, if I mean, they didn't have, I mean, it's not even like they were they like singing it. songs and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's because they had to have some sort of, I mean, like, black history, there's such a, a storytelling aspect because they, a lot of them weren't allowed to read or write. Of course. 
so storytelling and singing like and and church and religion like those are things that are so rooted in their history and so important that they've right. passed on from person to person because they don't want them to forget where they've come from right to twist that into it being like a happy jolly they were singing songs kind of thing I mean just even even now I think Chelsea Handler who listen she's problematic in her own way but she did a thing where I can't remember what that show was but she I remember I watched the racism episode that she did, and she went to the South and talked yeah. to people. I mean, and I'm telling you, even today, yeah. she was talking to older people, uh, white people in the South, and they were telling her straight faced, well, you know, a lot of the slaves liked being slaves and didn't want to not yeah. be slaves. Like, they truly believe well, this stuff. And the only reason that that would ever be true is if you start looking at some sort of Stockholm Syndrome. Well, because I mean, they weren't given any sort of, like, ability to create I their think, own lives. They didn't like right. it, I but think they there's were a difference. enslaved. Exactly. Like, hey, I think they were prisoners. There's a difference between liking being a slave yeah. and being very afraid of what life holds for you because you have no other or experience. Or going against the grain. I mean, if you're in the South, South, making it to the North, even then you weren't guaranteed safety. Yeah, I I mean, I think they were talking about, like, when the Emancipation Proclamation came through and they were, quote-unquote, freed, which was also very complicated. Yeah. Um, But then they were saying they didn't want to be free. They hated that. They wanted to stay slaves. And... That is so... It's so dehumanizing. And you're diluting the issues so much because, of course, I'm sure that there were people who were very afraid about, like, what the future held for them because... They were slaves. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents and were slaves. And they could be personally afraid. You still yeah. had a slave owner that probably drove the fear of God into Absolutely. you. So he's like, I'm free. Am I free? No, you're not free. Like, you know, there would be that. It's, it's like, a mind fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's like they, they were treated like children that had to listen to whatever their, like, you know, father, master would say to them. Like, right. of course they were going to be horrified. Right. I mean, and it's not to say, like, you know, they'll always use that, like, well, some slave... Slave owners were like were good were good slave owners and treated their slaves they nicely. Slave they were owners. still property. Yeah, they were still property. Yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. But, uh, kind of getting back to to women in this yes. issue, I just think that that's that's interesting. We we see white men as being kind of the spearheading force behind a lot of the more violent. Yeah, movements in white supremacy, yeah, like neo Nazism and and all of all of those, but we fail to see the ways in which women women have been instrumental by right. behind the scenes. Well, if I'm going to get real stereotypical, they always think of men being more physically violent. They're more in your face. You see when somebody's having an altercation because they're having a fight. Women, on the other hand psychologically tend to be a little bit more underhanded, tend yeah. to be a little bit more manipulative. Yeah. They don't let it all show all the time. They're not necessarily going to punch each other in the face. There's, It's going to be a slow burn. Less often, yes. Yeah, and it's going to be just a real slow, consistent right. uh, thing. Which and in- so I feel like it, that kind of relates to this a little bit because they weren't you know they were good with their pr they knew they couldn't be outwardly violent and hateful they had to kind of slowly integrate some of their ideas and have people see start slowly seeing totally you know which in so many ways i think is i mean not that i would ever downplay physical violence because of course there was so much of that and it was so scary um during that time period but the underhandedness is so insidious. I think mm-hmm. that that's what... 
I mean, I think even now it's to this so day, lasting. yeah, and now to this day, I think people kind of still make fun of like Southern women for that whole like, oh, bless her heart. How you could do these yeah. like underhanded things with yeah, a smile on her, your face. Bless her heart is really like fuck that. Fuck bitch. you. Yeah, yeah, like a lot of like really passive aggressive kind of like kill him with a smile with sweetness, even yeah. though you're saying something so like ugly. Yeah. Um. It's it's still kind of a stereotype for women in the South in general, but like yeah. women or in particular, but women in general. So, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. Before we touch on a little bit of today, I don't have very much, but, you know, a little bit. Do you want to kind of touch on white supremacy in, you know, Nazism, perhaps, or Germany? I'm wondering if we should just have a whole other episode for that. But I'll touch on it briefly um, because I, I started getting really into it, but we do focus a lot of times on the male guards and soldiers in Nazi Germany. And we kind of forget that there were women that were yeah. part of it too. A lot of women joined because it was like, there was jobs available. They were, you know, well paid and they believed that they were, that these people were prisoners and that if you're a prisoner, there must be a reason that like you did something bad, so on and so forth. Not excusing what they've done. Right, of course. Yeah, we should just disclaim all of this. <laughs> yeah. Like, none of this is an excuse. Yeah. So they didn't necessarily, like, exclude women from being Nazi Party members, but it wasn't, like, they weren't openly invited. Um, they 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 kind of con- had to conform to typical gender roles, even kind of within the whole regime and everything. But many women played an influential role at the heart of the Nazi system and filled official posts at the heart of concentration camps. A few were engaged in the German resistance and paid with their lives, such as Liberitz. I'm going to say all of these names wrong. I'm very sorry. Uh, Schulz Boysen and Sophie Scholl, who we've uh-huh. talked about. Yeah. So, most of the women who were part of the SS were in charge of, like, the telephones, the radio operators, and the stenographs, and um, sometimes they were at the camps. And the women in the camps were within the ranks of Nazis, but they were not—they were never to be in the higher sort of ranks, Mm -hmm. and they were called the—I'm going to say this wrong—Offsirin— I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. No. <laughs> um, but even, sorry, Germany. Even then, they were most of the time secretaries or nurses. Um, they came from mostly lower class and middle class social origins. Of the 55,000 numbers of guards in Nazi camps, 3,600 were women. Um, sorry, how many is the total? 55,000. Okay. So still a small so percentage. I mean, yeah, in comparison, it it wasn't as much. But like, I, I don't think that people even think it would have been that much, mm-hmm. you know? So let me blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to talk briefly about a few women in particular who were fucking awful. So there's this Got woman. Got that bitch of Buchenwald in there. Uh, yeah, well, that's what the reader is based on. And I don't even have that one, to be honest. The two that I focused on were Hermine Bronsteiner and Herta El- Ellert. I don't think I know either of those. I found some college journal or some college essay that somebody wrote where they compared the two because Hermine Bronsteiner was known as the stomping mare. She was, like, really, really tough. And then there was Herta Elhart, who was um, fucking awful, but also took a more um, subdued approach with their prisoners. Um, 
Hermine became known as the stomping mare because she killed women by stomping on them with her steel-studded jackboots. Jesus Christ! Mm -hmm. She she became the head overseer of Lagerfuhren at the uh, Jensen camp from January 1944 till May 1945. She was said to have whipped women to death, thrown children by their hair onto trucks before being taken to their deaths in gas chambers, hanged young female prisoners, and stomped an old woman to death with her jackboots. She partook in the selection of who would be sent to the gas chambers, and she was infamous for her wild rages and tantrums. She was sentenced to life imprisonment from the district court of, I'm going to say this wrong, Dusseldorf? Dusseldorf, yeah. Dusseldorf, on April 30th, 1981, but released on health grounds in 1996. Oh, fuck off. Before her death three years later. Jesus Christ. I know. There was a lot of um, Nazis who had very short sentences. A couple years here and there. Like, it was wrong. So, Herta Ellart arrived at Ravensbrook in December of 1939 and stayed for four years. When describing her job, she said, I had to see the civilian workers did not mix with the prisoners, and later on I was detailed to working parties outside the camp. Do you think, did these women ever come out and say that they're primary reasoning for doing what they did was was like what was their primary reasoning yeah i mean was it white supremacy or was it more just like they i mean i think there was probably some women that did but i think that a lot of times when we get these quotes it's probably from when they were on trial and they had to make it seem like they were following orders that's what i would assume i don't know I don't yeah, know that much, but, so I, hard but to I'm very—I want to learn more because yeah. it's, it's really interesting to me. But yeah, most of them kind of just discuss it as being something that was just part of their job. So yeah. in '43, she was transferred to the concentration camp and extermination camp of Mezdenek, which is one that I haven't heard a whole lot about. But in pretty much every woman that I was like looking into, that camp is mentioned in some way. So I think it was one of the larger ones. She claims that she was transferred for being too nice to prisoners, helping to feed them, and not giving harsh enough punishments. Um, they were among the first female guards and went on to hold senior positions at Majdanek, both um, Ellart and Bronsteiner. In 1944, she was trans- transferred to Kraku, but when Krakow, they... Krakow? It's K-R-A-K-U. K- oh, never mind. But when they noticed how lenient she was, they sent her back... Um, a fellow guard described her this, and this is the thing is that there's a fellow guard that descri- describes her. It's completely different than everything else. It says she was immensely obese, sly, vicious in character, and an absolute master in using the whip and describes her on kitchen duties, spying on Jewish women while they helped prepare meals, while they were like peeling potatoes, doing things like that. And she would watch them. And then she would sometimes make them strip down naked while they were doing it. So she was kind of like, from what I understand, she had the appearance of caring for them and being somewhat nicer to them as opposed to the stomping mare who was like very outwardly vicious and cruel um, physically where she was a little bit more emotionally scarring. It wasn't as obvious that she was like being so damaging. I don't know. But she was moved to Auschwitz, then Bergen-Belsen where she became deputy wardess. So she must have, you know... That's right. some pretty shitty stuff. Yeah. She was sentenced to 15 years in prison, but was given early release on May 7th, 1953. Jesus Christ. 1953. And we're talking in 
44 was one of her transfers. That's my last date before that. But that's not even 10 years later, and she's already out. After the war, she lived under the assumed name Herta Newman. She died on April 1997 at age 92. So, again, that's kind of showing the different ways of violence, where one was more physical uh, and obviously violent, where the other was uh, maybe a little bit more sly and manipulative. Right. I mean, and I do think it kind of illustrates, I think, that the parallels between um, Nazi Germany and the Old South in the United States. And look, I do want to also say I am not sitting here trying to say that the South of the United States is the only place where the United States has a racism issue. No, because not at all. it's everywhere. And I'm not saying that women of the South are all are racist or racist, or people no. of the South are all racist. It's just what came up a lot in my research, which is why yeah. we we've said it so much. But what I find interesting in the parallels there is that whether or not you are, and this is kind of the thing that's going to come up and lead us into modern day a little bit, is that whether or not you are racist because you really hate that group of people um, or whether or not you are, quote-unquote, just following orders. Or circumstantial. Yeah, at the end of the day, you are trying to maintain the status quo because it benefits you. Exactly. Um, Exactly. It benefits you to do that. And we see that in modern day in... 53% of white women voted for Trump. I was just going to say, we see it in modern day where we talk about uh, the upholding of American standards, American values. That is Quote, unquote, American values. That is what Donald Trump based his entire... Which is so stupid laughable. ...campaign on because make America great again. That is what he based it on. Make America white again. Yeah, exactly. And And it's about... Conflict and abuse and horror. Like, there right, isn't but, anything but not positive to behind them. That. No, and because the way his agenda that he proposed to them was not outward. Well, it was outwardly hateful. But it, but he would try to speak to the specific people that he was trying to reach and make it sound really good for them. Right. It sounds good for you because that's what white privilege is. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like. Make America great again. Let's take us back to a point when the white man was on top. Yeah. And I feel like white... And where men were on top. And yes. And all of, all yeah. of the things. You know, but, like, I feel like white women, why there was... And I look, I, I hear it already. I hear it already because I've gotten it since the election of hashtag not all white women. You know, I get that. But here's the thing. Over half of the white women in this country voted for Donald Trump. Yep. And they did it because maintaining the status quo is easier for you. And it it benefits you. You guys, I'm going to give you one really valuable piece of advice that I have learned in my short 26 years on this earth. (laughs) Do the harder thing. Yeah. Always do the harder thing. Yeah. Like, it it doesn't... And I don't mean do the harder thing, you know, like, to do bad things. I mean, do the harder thing in when you see somebody struggling help them when you have to change your mindset but you don't want to because you don't want to look at that part of yourself whether it be personally or politically or anything like that force yourself to look at those ugly horrible things because in the end that's going to make you a better person right and i think also do the harder thing is a good slogan for the other white women who didn't vote for trump because Mm -hmm. here's the thing you cannot all white women at me all day but 
the point is, and I'm including myself in this when I say this to an extent because I am half white and I have white family members, yeah, many of whom voted for Trump. Yeah. And I can say, do the harder thing in continuing to be outspoken about your beliefs and questioning your fellow family members because I think the instinct is, for myself included... Don't rock the boat. Yep. Don't start You don't want to mention it with family because right. you feel like it's going to um, cause a rift and right. things like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, whether or not your family members who voted for Trump are racist or not, they are upholding a racist, a racist ideology. Yeah. And... And I know that they don't mean... Look, man, I'm telling you, like, I have so many people in my family who voted for Trump. Yeah, that I agree. I'm... They're not bad people for the most part, at least the ones that I know, and they're not racist people for the most part, but you have to be held accountable for whenever you... For what you were voting for. Right, and for when you are kind of allowing this you know, racist agenda to continue, and that's that's kind of what's going on right now. Um, And that's kind of where we we are right now. Yeah. um, I feel like, you know, they say the history repeats itself. Yeah. And I feel that we are at a time where instead of being progressive and moving forward and um, wanting us to really be a whole country and come together, we are getting back to a place where we are so divided uh, racially and uh, socially, politically, that it's not doing us any good. And this whole make America great again thing, it's making America worse. Absolutely. Well, because I mean, we are strongest when we are working together. We have now had two Unite the Right rallies, one of which last year in Charlottesville resulted in murder. Yeah. You know, and and bodily harm to people from the right, from the alt-right, quote-unquote alt-right, the the Nazis. I was going to say, the alt-right, is it's their way of disguising what they really are. Right, and I I think it's, I always say alt-right because everyone knows exactly what you mean when you say that, but there is also this kind of movement to stop calling them that and start calling them Nazis because that's what they are. are. It's so weird to me that, like, you know, we we talked about Germany and how they've just completely, um, like, don't want to be... Uh, associated with those things anymore but yet I've seen so many people like drawing swastikas oh, and yeah. swastika tattoos yeah. in America. Or you have the Unite the Right rally where you've got Nazi flags flying alongside Confederate flags. Like That's, that's crazy to yeah. me because the, the country that like started this whole thing is so like we just want to like we are so sorry and we will do everything we can for the rest of our lives our kids and their kids and their kids will not forget what happened and right. we will try to make it right yeah. and we will try to make it better yet we're over here still yeah. celebrating yeah them. yeah um yes and it's 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 really confusing and uh, conflicting And, you know, I just, if you take anything with you, like, when you go, just keep this in mind when you see the Tommy Lawrence of the world, you know, when you see the Laura Ingrams of the world. The Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, who are (laughs) being complicit and who history will remember on the wrong side of of history, praying that they don't rewrite our history books. Right. Um, Not that, notwithstanding, that you pray... You know, that just keep that in mind whenever you see these people and understand that they are perpetuating white supremacy. Yeah. And they are working to hold it up. You know, it doesn't matter that they might look, like, sweet or it doesn't, you know, none of that matters. Yeah, I remember watching this video where this guy was, like, conflicted because 
Tommy, Tommy Lauren, is that her name? Yeah. Whatever her name is. Like, she's like, yeah, you're hot, but you're a fucking asshole. Like, there's this whole video where I was like, oh, you she, can't even call yeah, her hot. And, and and like, to me, she's Ugh. so ugly because, because she's you can just so hateful. See it. You can just yeah. see it. Ugh. I see it seeping through, like, every pore in her body. Yeah, so just, just keep like that in mind. It's like of hate. Yeah, don't, don't forget that while you know we've had episodes on incels we've had episodes on mras we are completely aware of the toxic masculinity that per like you know is so prevalent in our society but that doesn't mean that women are not somewhat to blame or somewhat um bare minimum complicit and complicit to a lot of these things yeah and that's and i think that's what makes us good feminists because we are not just protecting every woman oh, hell from no. the fact that they are women. Yeah. We are not, you know, we're not afraid to shy away from, you know, first wave feminism and their issues with intersectionality. And I think that that's something that's important for all of our listeners, too, to remember that being a feminist does not mean that you are to automatically agree with your fellow woman. It's to respect your fellow woman and your fellow man, but also to not turn a blind eye right. to the bad things that are happening. Right. Equality means also, like, you are held accountable yeah. for your beliefs and your mistakes yep. and the ways in which your ideology might be oppressing other people. And I do want to encourage, um, you know, the white women in my life having gone through these things and these girl groups that I've been involved in to really examine your own behavior yeah as well you know take a look at that racism scale yeah and see where you fall on it because it's not always like wearing yeah. a robe and a pointy hat like yeah there are much more subtle ways in which you're contributing to the the furthering of white supremacy yeah. so and just examine that can i say one more thing too because absolutely we've been mentioning privilege and i think this that this is important to say I am a white woman with white privilege, and I don't feel um, like I'm putting myself down. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm saying that I haven't gone through stuff. Right. But acknowledge your privilege. Acknowledge the privilege of your ancestors and where you've come from, and be empathetic to others. Take that to know that, like you, it just means that you have to be that much more. Um, open-minded, and you have to educate yourself on other cultures. Right, and also under—that's what it means. Also understand that, like, because I feel like this is something that comes up a lot, and you know, I know that we'll probably end up doing an episode on privilege on its own. But maybe I don't know. But we need to start keeping like a notebook in here when we're like, we're going to do an episode. On I know. This. I think that is on our list to do. But mm-hmm. also take note that because this is what I always hear. I always hear. I don't. I don't have white privilege. My life has been really hard, or I was really poor. Exactly. That's, that's not what that means. Yeah. It doesn't mean that your life hasn't been difficult. Yeah. It just means that your race or the color of your skin has, has not, not been part of that. Has not made it more difficult. Yeah. Is not a contributing factor in one of the things that made it harder. Yeah. So that's and just it's something okay to, keep in to mind. admit. Like right. I feel like it's something that people get really again. Don't be defensive. About, you don't have to be defensive about it. You don't. It's just you can accept that about yourself and use it as a uh, a wake-up call yeah. to have growth and yeah. understanding for other people. It doesn't have to be something that you feel defensive about. Agreed. You know? Agreed. So um, that's a really good place to, to end it. I hope I you guys enjoyed this episode. I, think I we, hope we stayed on topic enough. We did, I think. Okay. I think we did. Um, and this was a good one. 
I feel like that we did. I enjoyed yeah. this conversation. Me so too. we hope I you feel guys like there's did. So much more that we could absolutely. Talk about with this. You know, absolutely there is. Um, I'm excited. You know, we we were talking about all of our episodes and kind of like themes that we have coming up. You know, when we first started, we kind of went right into Black History Month and Women's History Month, and we had all these very specific episodes. And I, I hope that we continue that every year that we have this podcast. And I'm excited for next Black History Month to maybe touch more on um, slavery and really oh, getting yeah. into like the deep. You know, not just American history, but world history of a lot of these racial issues. You know what I'd like to do next what? year for, and this is probably going to piss people off, whatever. It's our podcast. Um, I'd like to do next year for, like, St. Patrick's Day, maybe, talking about the difference between... Because every year, the someone will tell you that Irish people were slaves and that they yeah. have the right to be just as mad as black people. No. And that's not the case. Guys, my my last my name is Madigan Haggerty. That is most the most Irish, Irish name that you exist. could ever yeah. think of. Like, my family, like, we are Irish. Right. We are Irish. Deeply Irish. I've never heard that before in my life. Well, I mean, and here's the thing. My, it's not my that parents, the Irish... Like, no one ever said any of that to me. And so We're getting why, off topic, but... No, I know, but it's like... Ugh. No, I'm with you, but yes, it's not... And again, speaking of privilege, it's not like the Irish had it easy when they came here. No. Of course. But it, but you didn't have... It wasn't racial It's not profiling. the same. It it's was not the different. same. Like, it's... Yes, we were treated shitty. It's good to recognize that. It's, it's good to recognize where you've come from, where you've been, all that kind of stuff, whatever. Not the fucking same... End of conversation. <laughs> we'll we'll see you again in March. Yeah. So um, <laughs> if you guys have other topics that you think that we should cover, that you think would be interesting, or if you have more to add to this conversation about women and white supremacy, yeah, you feel like we left anything out because I I feel like this whole episode has been a blur to me. I don't even know what we talked about. I mean, I think we, we covered <laughs> some good stuff, but for sure, I'm sure we left some stuff out. And if we left out something that you think is really important yeah. that we didn't touch on at least a little bit, oh my god, if you live in the south or like have your mom like ever tell you stories about like being in school or anything like that like i want to hear about it like that wasn't my my life your experience yeah like i want to hear about that yeah i mean definitely any honestly at this point any emails send us emails guys we just like getting them so we need to hear them we need things to talk about in many episodes just like entertain us just do the thing please please so So, if you want to do that email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com uh you can also follow us on instagram and dm us at angry neighborhood feminist you can get us on facebook in the facebook group uh or our business page you can message us there or on twitter at yamf podcast y-a-n-f podcast um, and I don't know. Uh, rate and review. Rate and review. Subscribe. Please. Please. We haven't we haven't gotten any new reviews in a while. Um, it would be really great to get some more activity there. Um, yeah, it's it's just incredibly helpful to help us out there. I also just want to remind you guys to download the Radio Public app and to listen to us there and to tell your friends about us. To tell your friends to download the Radio Public app and to listen to us there. Um, we really, really appreciate the listeners that we do have and the amazing and strong relationships that we've built with so many of you. It truly does make our days when we hear from you and know that we also have people to rely on that that are very like-minded. So I guess with that being said, we just encourage you to to rage on. Bye.
Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.